Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Today, we will be talking about the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic. I do want to make a similar disclaimer to last week's episode. I don't speak a lick of Finnish, and that means I'm going to butcher probably most of the place names that we cover today, but I'm going to do my very best. So, the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic existed in 1918, but in order to provide enough background, I'm going to rewind the clock all the way back to 1809. At this time, Finland was a grand duchy within the Russian Empire, but in 1809, the Finnish nobility managed to gain a certain degree of autonomy from the Russians, which meant they could control a little bit more of what was going on in their home province. And that was great. It opened the door for industrialization, which started in the 1870s, and made farming far more efficient. But by 1899, the Russians decided that the Finns had had enough autonomy for a while, so they began a plan of Russification in Finland. The idea was to bring Finland closer to Russia by pushing Russian language and culture in the region, in much the same way that Germany and Japan were doing at this time to their own neighbors. Needless to say, the Finns were largely unhappy with this, so that year they established the Finnish Social Democratic Party, which demanded democracy, no russification, and civil rights for the lower classes. And when I say lower classes in this context, I don't mean it in the same way I would mean when I'm talking about like lower classes in American society where lines can be kind of blurred. We have things like the upper middle class and stuff like that. In Finland at this time, that was a very defined description. At this point in history, the Grand Duchy of Finland had what was called an estate system, which divided Finnish people up into five very distinct social classes. These were the nobles at the top, then the clergy, then urban merchants and craftsmen, and then at the bottom two were land-owning rural peasants, and then, of course, just the landless people in general at the very lowest. So, the new Finnish Social Democratic Party was very appealing to the people in the lowest two estates because the Industrial Revolution had made life largely better for everyone, but the gap between the nobles and the lowest estates had become very noticeable. Then, just in case Finland wasn't chafing enough under Russian imperial rule, on February 8th, 1904, the Japanese Navy opened fire on Russian forces in the east, which sparked the Russo-Japanese War. And war is never good for morale. A year and a half later, the Japanese had officially defeated the Russians. The Japanese had killed around 70,000 Russians and captured 75,000 more. This was massively embarrassing for Russia, it diminished their status as a great power, and elevated Japan's own status, and in response to this loss, a general strike erupted in Finland. The people around the Russian Empire, but especially in Finland, had lost confidence in the Tsar, which was Nicholas II. In 1906, in response to the general strike, the estate system in Finland was officially abolished by the imperial government. Included in this abolition was the foundation of a Finnish parliament, and the number of people eligible to vote in Finland increased tenfold. And this was a very big deal. 
the Russians were the most centralized autocratic state left in Europe, so to get them to relinquish power like this was no small thing. This also made the Finnish Social Democratic Party look very good, as it had been them that initiated the general strike, so enrollment spiked, making it the proportionately largest socialist movement on earth. So things were pretty good in Finland for at least a couple years. They had their parliament, they had a certain amount of home rule, and there were a lot of people that were active in government. But that changed in 1908, when the Russians once again tried to resume Russification in Poland. During this new round of Russification, the Tsar squashed the Finnish parliament, he made it effectively useless, and he probably actually would have succeeded in Russifying all of Finland, but on June 28, 1914, something happened abroad that interrupted pretty much all international plans. On that day, a young Bosnian Serb by the name of Gavrilo Princip shot Franz Ferdinand, Archduke of Austria, in the streets of Sarajevo. And of course, we all know what happens next. The world starts plunging into World War I, and the world includes Russia, who entered the war on July 28th one month after the assassination of the Archduke. World War I did not go well for the Russians. It was estimated that somewhere around two and a half million Russian soldiers were killed during the fighting in the war. And so support for the Russian socialist movement, who opposed the war effort, started to grow in Russia. Eventually this reached a boiling point, and on March 8th, 1917, a revolution broke out in Russia, that managed to topple the imperial system within just eight days. The revolutionaries established a dual power system in Russia, which would be shared between the Red Communist Movement and the White Anti-Communists, which hypothetically would have worked similar to a two-party system like here in the U.S., but as you'll soon see, this did not work at all. The dual power system lasted all of eight months until November 7, 1917, when the communists overthrew the whites and removed them from power, plunging Russia into a long and bloody civil war. But that's enough about Russia, let's go back to Finland. On December 6, 1917, less than a month after the civil war began in Russia, the Finns took advantage of the chaos and declared their independence but fighting broke out pretty quickly between whites and reds in Finland, too. The first shots of the Finnish Civil War were fired on January 9, 1918, during a dispute between the Finnish whites and the Finnish reds over control of the city of Vyborg. Later that week, the Finnish Senate, which was a white-controlled institution, declared Karl Mannerheim, a Finn who was once a general in the Russian Imperial Army, as Commander-in-Chief of the White Army in Finland. By the way, I don't want to have to keep repeating the words 1918 over and over again, so from here on out, all dates that I say are in 1918. Just keep that in mind. So, on January 21st, Mannerheim's army began disarming Russian garrisons in the country, and four days later, Mannerheim was given the order to engage the Reds in full combat. In response to this, on January 26th, which was the next day, Ali Altanen, who was a Red leader, issued the Order of Revolution from his headquarters in Helsinki. 
This basically just meant he told anyone with communist-leaning sympathies to freely revolt against the white government. A shipment of weapons meant for the Finnish Reds immediately set out from the Russian Reds located in Petrograd, which was a Russian city near the Finnish border. And the very next day, the Whites attempted to capture this shipment by intercepting it at the Kamara railway station. A small battle broke out, and though the Whites inflicted twice as many casualties as they took, the Reds still won the day and secured the weapons for their cause. The next day, January 28th, the Finnish People's Delegation was established as the ruling party within the Red Movement. This also saw Ali Altanen replaced as Commander-in-Chief of the Reds by Iro Hapalainen. Then, the day after that, on January 29th, 1918, the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic was established in Helsinki by communist politician Kulervo Manor, not to be confused with Manor Heim. The Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic claimed all of Finland, but in reality they controlled only the southern coastal territories. From here, the Reds immediately began a general offensive against the Whites. And this would have been great if the Reds had any trained leadership whatsoever, but they went through commanders-in-chief like nobody's business, as you're already seeing and will continue to see. The next day, Mannerheim responded by declaring to all Russians that remained in Finland that the Whites would not attack them unless they supported the Red cause. Basically, this was Mannerheim saying, Hey Russians, things are about to get really bad for Reds in Finland, so if you were thinking about supporting them, I would think again. February of 1918 didn't see a whole lot of extremely important action, other than, of course, skirmishing all along the front lines. But there were two things that I think are definitely worth mentioning that happened in this month. For one, on February 23rd, the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic began drafting their constitution. But this constitution did not include the dictatorship of the proletariat, as all good communist constitutions do. Instead, it was modeled on Western constitutions like the United States or France. The second important event in February was on February 25th, when 1,500 Jaegers arrived in the white capital of Vasa to be placed under Mannerheim's command. Now, I wish I could tell you that these were the same Jaegers as in Pacific Rim, and the white movement now had 1,500 giant robots to fight communists with, but that is not what this meant. These Jaegers were elite infantry units that had been trained in Germany which was really the most effective fighting force in the world at that point. But the Reds weren't particularly worried about that right at that moment. They went on fighting, and they went on politicking. On March 1st, the Finnish and Russian Reds met and signed a treaty, which made them nominal allies, but they could do little to help each other since they were both involved in their own respective civil wars. And they didn't really love each other anyway, as they had some opposing ideas as to where Russia ended and Finland began. Then, disaster struck for the Reds in Finland. On March 3rd, the Russians withdrew from World War I, and this opened the door to German involvement in the Finnish Civil War. 
The Germans obviously wanted the Whites to win, and Mannerheim was happy to accept German funding and weaponry, but he was very hesitant to allow German troops to actually enter Finland. But he eventually conceded. So, on March 5, 1918, just two days after the Russian withdrawal, the German navy landed in the white-held Åland Islands. These islands were kind of cut off from the rest of the white-held territory in Finland. They're off the southwest coast of the country, which means there was a big swath of red-held territory in between them and the rest of the whites. But regardless, German troops were now involved in the Finnish Civil War. By March 15th, the Red General Offensive had totally stalled out, so the Whites launched their own offensive against them in the West, with the goal of capturing the Red-held city of Tampir. In the face of the invasion, the Reds immediately began to fall back to the city, but the next day, 2,500 Whites caught up to 1,000 fleeing Reds, and crushed them at the town of Yamsa. This event was repeated further along the road two days later. Needless to say, Hapalainen was not doing so well as commander-in-chief, so he was replaced by three men all working together to occupy just the one office. And this would go about as well as you would think. This new triumvirate decided to defend Tampere against the white invasion rather than abandoning it. So on March 23rd, 17,000 white soldiers reached Tampere where they were greeted by 15,000 reds. Within a day, the whites had captured the suburb of Lempala, which allowed them to block the reds' railway supply line into the city. Later that week, the Whites attacked the city in force, hoping to finally enter the city proper, but they suffered massive losses and were forced to stop for a couple days. By April 3rd, they decided that they had had enough rest, so they tried again in the middle of the night this time, and successfully punched into the heart of the city. And this is where things get a little bit ugly. Some Jaegers went rogue and executed 20 Red prisoners, despite Mannerheim's commands against it. On April 5th, after days of street-by-street -street fighting, the Whites finally sent the Reds fleeing west out of the city, and the next day, they officially surrendered the city. But here, things got even uglier. The Whites immediately went about executing all of their Red prisoners, which was about a thousand men in total, as well as all Russians found in the city. That includes women and children, non-combatants, the elderly, it doesn't matter. 200 Russians were put to death on the spot. But the Whites had just won a major battle, and that meant that they had about 10,000 more new prisoners. And they didn't have that many bullets to spare, so they rounded up all of these men and put them into a concentration camp just outside the city. Most of these prisoners would survive, uh, a very small proportion of them actually died in captivity, but a concentration camp is an ugly thing nonetheless. Anyway, on April 7th, the day after the Whites took Tampere from the Reds, German troops operating in the country captured a town just outside of the Red capital of Helsinki. After these disastrous losses, the Reds decided that their triumvirate of commanders-in-chief was no longer working, so on April 10th, they declared Kalervo Manor, the political leader of the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic, as commander-in-chief and dictator 
of the Republic. But, dictatorship or not, the Reds were very much losing the Finnish Civil War. In fact, it was really bad at this point, as on April 13th, those Germans that had previously been outside of Helsinki were now inside of Helsinki, which seriously jeopardized the future of the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic. The Germans followed up on this victory by capturing four more cities in the following two weeks. Then, on April 24, 1918, Mannerheim's Tampir veterans now reached Vyborg, the city that had started this whole civil war, which they captured after five days of hard siege. This loss, combined with the catastrophic loss of Helsinki, led the Red leadership to flee to Petrograd in Russia, which was obviously deeply upsetting to the fighting men on the Red side. They no longer felt like fighting for leaders that had abandoned them, so the Red soldiers took their families and fled east into Russia in massive caravans themselves. During this retreat into Russia, on April 28th, a certain part of those caravans were blocked by German forces, and while 450 Reds were lost in the ensuing battle, they managed to kill 48 Germans and break through the lines the next day. A week later, on May 5th, 1918, the last Reds were defeated by a combined Finnish-German force in Avinkoski, and the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic was no more. Ten days after that, on May 15th, 1918, the Finnish Civil War officially ended, as there was no one left for Mannerheim left to fight, and so the Whites were victorious. So, with a lifespan of January 29th to May 5th, the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic was around for a grand total of 97 days, which is obviously pretty short in the grand scheme of things, but about par for the course for us. And I think there's more than a few reasons why people largely don't talk about the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic. If they had wanted to be remembered, they could not have popped up at a worse time. Events on the global scale were so huge at this point in history that really it's all anyone could have talked about. For one, you've got World War I, which obviously you know how big and important that is and how many people talk about that on even a daily basis. And then two, you've got the Russian Civil War, which was a much bigger red versus white civil war happening right next door. So that takes a lot of the attention off of the Finnish Civil War, and therefore off of the Finnish Socialist Workers' Republic. And then I think another factor that led to this country being forgotten was the existence of German foreign intervention at this point in history. This was 1918, so if people are talking about the German war machine at this point, they're talking about how it was failing, and they were about to lose World War I. If you were to then pipe up and say, oh, well, in 1918, they were also actively and successfully intervening in foreign civil wars, you would be greeted by something like, okay, well, they were still about to lose and they still lost. Unless you happen to be talking to an advanced scholar of early 20th century German militarism, people just don't really care. And finally, we have the size of the Finnish civil war. The Battle of Tampere was the largest battle of the entire conflict, but even there, it was only 30,000 men total. Which is a lot, 
but in the grand scheme of war, especially at this point in history, that's not all that many people. Just for comparison, the Battle of the Somme in World War I, which was in 1915, three years prior to the Finnish Civil War, three million men fought. Of course, within Finland, this was a full-scale civil war, but in terms of the world as a whole, it just doesn't reach that many people because the numbers don't quite reach the level that those in World War I and later World War II will, or even the Russian Civil War for that matter. So there you have it. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Uh, consider following me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Forgot10Lands at both. That's the number 10, like the digits, one zero. Uh, I hope to see you all next week, and thank you for listening.